Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Perfect Bound Podcast. This is a podcast all about anything and everything comic books and comics related, brought to you by the Panel Jumper and Comics Dungeon. My name is Ben. With me, as always, it's Cole Hornaday. Hey there. Chris Casso. Hello. And Nicole M. Hi. How is everybody this fine evening? This is okay. All right. I'm a little chilly. It's kind of cold out there. I've got my fleece on, and I'm still a little chilly. Yeah, I but it the might be a sign of age. You know, the internal thermostat is just not working the way it used to. We haven't we haven't mentioned your age in such a long time. I've forgotten how old you actually are. I have too, and it's lovely. Uh, <laughs> but I do know you have a birthday coming up. Well, it's already passed, according to um, Perfect Man Podcast. Huh? Oh, oh well, oh, this yes. this episode is coming to you uh, live on tape. On December seventeenth. Oh, oh no. no, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Whoopsie. So y'all, yeah. if you don't call, wish him a happy birthday on whatever yeah. day his, his birthday is. The 29th? 27th. 27th. Yeah. I am right. gonna make some um, I'm gonna make some weird asks uh, this month for my birthday. And one of them is that I'd like to I'm gonna trot out each of our old uh, previous panel jumper episodes oh, yeah. and ask them to re ask folks to revisit them. And you know, while you're at it. You know, kind of join, consider joining our Patreon. <laughs> Smash um, that sub- subscribe button. Yeah. Smash, yeah. Smash, Smash that it. subscribe button. But I was thinking, yeah, you know, I'm just going to tell little anecdotes about how that episode came about and uh, and and encourage people to uh, share and enjoy some more because um, it's just really depressing to look at YouTube <laughs> and see how few hits some of these episodes have gotten. We put so yeah. much work in yeah, it. Yeah, we do. It's, they are labors of love. And um, I think the most... Uh, I'll be really frank. The most discouraging thing is like friends from back home who go, gosh, I'm, it's really awesome you're doing this series. I'm like, well, thanks. Have you watched it? And they're like, no. No. Uh, <laughs> no. And, and usually the excuse is, I don't like comics. And I'm like, ah, then I failed. But I can't have failed because, or we can't have failed because you hadn't even bothered to try. Right. Um, Just guilt them. Don't you, um, don't, but don't you like me? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do it for me. Uh, no, I think I already learned the answer to that. Oh. Oh. Are you going to post oh. anything on your Patreon, like a little quick video or something about it? You know, that's that an be, idea. That could we be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. We should. Low, low production. Just low. like just a quick, no. like a cam on you low. being like, let me tell you a little bit about like this. Like, heck, just look into one of these like, cameras right yeah, now. Behind the scenes, go. <laughs> <Ready to> go. <laughs> Welcome to the panel jumper. Pressure. <laughs> Patreon and, uh, edition. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of ancient things yes. that are celebrating birthdays coming up, <laughs> Batman <laughs> turning 80 in March. DC's gonna produce uh, Detective Comics number 1000. They've announced this. It'll be uh, in March of 2019. It's going to be a landmark 96-page issue that'll see writer Peter J. Tomasi and artist Doug Mankey. Mm-hmm. I, I Mankey? thought it was Monkey, Monk? but... Lord knows. Doug. Doug M. Doug. Hey, Doug. Okay. Hey, Doug. Um, it's going to have an hey, all-star Doug. lineup of creators uh, on backup stories, including Jeff Johns, Brian Michael Bendis, Christopher Priest, Dennis O'Neill, et cetera, et cetera. Kelly Jones. Uh, yeah, Detective Number 1000. It's also going to have a book addiction, edition, a deluxe edition uh, that uh, that will reprint classic stories, including some non-Batman adventures. I feel like we just went through this with action comics. Yep, it's exactly the same exact yep. thing. It made them money, so they like the format. <laughs> yep. 
This is an industry of like the one thing works. Do it again. Do yeah. it fifty times now. Exactly. How yeah. much? So the, uh, Action Comics one thousand, all forms of it. Did it sell? Is it? Was it? Yeah, we did pretty well with it. Yeah. We did. We did more than we really thought, and we we did more than we should have. But it's just like, <laughs> well, if there's a thing that should do it, it should be this. Um, welcome to comic book retail. That's yeah. that's, that's <laughs> yeah. every decision. Like maybe I may. Oh, let's try it. I, I actually I didn't bother with any of them. Because because I couldn't figure out which was going to be the most advantageous one to get, which is yeah. going to have the best material <laughs> in it, because it was not the same material in each edition, correct? You or, mean the... So there's like the actual comic that was square bound, but it was right. still a comic. Right. Mm-hmm. They were... They were they all had different covers, but they were the same interiors. All the interiors are the same. Yes. Oh my but God. then there's the super oh. hardcover edition, yeah. and that's all reprints, plus some things that had never been printed before. Um, and... But nothing from that single issue. See, that's where I got confused, you guys. Yeah, it was, was like, like a, a couple different out. entities. Um, yeah. 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 Hmm? It was a couple different entities happening at oh, once. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was some good stories in there. It's it's what happens when you get an anthology. Some of them are like, yay. Some of them are like, well, that happened. Um, so, But it, it, it was pretty fun overall. Cool. You know, so this has a lot of great writers and it, the Tomas Tomasi's aces in our book. So I love uh, you, Tomasi. <laughs> Peter J. Peter yeah, J. It's also Peter J. You are the, a good man. The deluxe edition called Eighty Years of Batman is gonna have some essays written by Cory Doctorow, <laughs> Neil Gaiman, and Dennis O'Neill. Dennis O'Neill uh, Denny O'Neill is going to be honored uh, for pursuing causes of peace and justice mm. at the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library mm. uh, for his work that he wrote about in the late 60s and early 70s. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I only knew him as an editor because he was the uh, fo- forefront editor. of the whole, yeah. whole like Jason Todd thing. That's right. Yep. He was but, the um, Bat Family editor for years. He was the gatekeeper, especially like during the 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 bat phenomena of the 80s, which was like the first time there was like this media explosion that happened around the Tim Burton movie. And he was, you know, he was he was the gatekeeper and all that. And I was just fascinated by how this guy was was actually keeping uh, this, because I think, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the first time where like uh, a publishing house said, okay, we need to codify this vision of how this is going to be done, how these stories overlap, and, uh, and stick to a uh, storytelling Bible, particularly for mm. this, and you're saying that he's the first one that they they assigned that task to. Yeah, or? yeah. It wouldn't that surprise kind of me, but I've never bit. read of a thing okay. uh, cementing that. But it doesn't all surprise right. me at all. I could be wrong, mm. right. and I but believe right. <laughs> I believe Danny O'Neill is the person who created the name for Optimus Prime. What? Yes. If I'm wrong. Oh, he just went up a couple notches in my book. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to make sure I'm not messing up some of the names, but I think he was the one. He was a cool guy. When I was in graduate school, I was I planned to write a paper on mask performance and comic books, and I wanted to focus on it. It didn't work, but I wanted to focus on um, on Batman and uh, the evil warding nature of masks and superheroes. And I sent him a letter, and he was like. I would love, I was, you know, and this is before interwebs, so communication was slow. And I said, I asked, you know, can you, would you have some time to answer some questions for me? He wrote me right back and said, send me a blank tape and your questions. <gasps> wow. And he, he was wonderful. I didn't get it, but 
I didn't get it until the next quarter, um, <laughs> so I couldn't use any of that material. And sadly, I don't have that tape anymore. I loaned the tape oh. to uh, a professor of my former girlfriend's, and he never, never gave it back to me. But no, I just think the world of Denny O'Neill, because he took the time to do that for a graduate yeah, student. Yeah, totally. And um, I am sad I don't have that anymore. Mm. But I had the letter he wrote me. Nice. Um, I, I, it's a typed letter with his signature, but I still have that as proof that that transaction did actually <laughs> Yeah. A lot of his uh, his issue focused material was in uh, the Green Lantern Green Arrow series, and he uh, he says that the decision to attack various real world problems through comic book stories came about because he was aware of his own addiction problems and was hanging around areas of New York where many down and out people congregated during that time. So he knew that. He knew that he, uh, uh, comics wasn't going to change the world, but if he, you know, he uh, he could at least get people thinking about these kinds of things and thinking about these problems at a young age. Well, Chris, and and don't don't they usually attribute those Green Lantern, Green Arrow, um, uh, socially relevant stories as being like the uh, the dawn of the Bronze Age yeah, or the modern age? Generally, that's the time period, and then that's that's the one that gets credit for it. Bronze Age, Bronze, Bronze Age. Thank you. Bronze age. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. So yeah, that's and that's actually coincidentally uh, happening today and tomorrow as we record this, December seventh and December eighth. So this has already happened, but I wanted to uh, acknowledge it. Not like anybody who's listening to this is like, I gotta go to the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library to see this in action. So we book the tickets exactly. We um, we we t- t- mentioned how Danny O'Neill was editor of the Bat Family and. Um, and was the architect of the Jason Todd lives or dies Colin. Yep, that was well, his idea. <laughs> DC Watch com- the episode. Watch the panel jumper episode. <laughs> exactly. Boy Wonder Years. DC Comics. Uh, that's a one of the more clever titles that Cole has ever. <laughs> you come hated up with. that title. I did not. You hated that title. We went around and around over whiskey for hours. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> DC Comics is asking its readers to vote. On whether this uh, whether Jason Todd should have lived or died again, there um, of course Jason Todd has come back. He reappeared, and uh, but uh, DC was like, "Hey, see if uh, uh, they wanted they want to see if whether it would happen again." Mm-hmm. And uh, overwhelmingly, um, <laughs> uh, it seems Jason's popularity has grown in mm. the intervening decades. The choice to reverse history and save Jason has received more than twice the votes as mm. the choice to repeat history and kill him again, with 18,441 people voting to save him and only 8,324 people voting to kill him off. Now, Cole, do you remember the original numbers? It's like 5,000, but remember also... Um, no, I don't remember the original. They're in the episode. But they were only off by like... Less yeah, than a hundred, but also remember they you had to pay fifty cents a call. Yeah, right. and I'm assuming they did this on the internet. Yeah, uh, by, <laughs> yeah. well, of course, but there was no fee to right. to submit. I'm gonna yeah. click on the link to see if it's still active. I'm gonna click right. it. I'm gonna click it. I'm gonna click it. Yeah, I think so, I voted die. <laughs> so as of as of that article by I think that was a Newsarama. <laughs> Oh yeah, there it is, right there. Yeah, yeah here it die. Is. You wrote die three or four times. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I hacked the website and just put the word die all over it. Yeah. Oddly enough, the uh, the buttons to vote on whether or not Jason Todd lives or dies contain the original phone numbers uh, that you could call. Yeah. So, Don't they add the, the the original print copy too? Yeah, the it, Jim Aparo illustrations. Uh, not on the buttons, um, but the but the the unfortunately the the phone number is no longer 
longer exist. Um, but one nine hundred seven twenty twenty six sixty. If the Joker fails and Robin lives, or one nine hundred seven twenty twenty six sixty six. If the Joker succeeds and Robin will not survive. So. Anyway, so that's a thing that happened. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about that. Dark Horse, <laughs> uh, Portland-based Dark Horse uh, Media, got a major influx of cash from a, looks like a Chinese venture capitalist firm or a China-based Vanguard Visionary Associates in the to, to the tune of about $20 million to help them forge ahead uh, with uh, creating more... Um, more media, yeah. like movies and TV shows. Well, they lost all so much of their licensing. They lost Star Wars. They lost Buffy. They lost all the Whedon properties. They lost Conan. Uh, Conan. But um, you know the thing is, they've not been talking about being in any kind of financial dires or dire problems or anything like that. Not so yet. not yet. But uh, I don't think they were at least no. when. Uh, the CEO and founder of Dark Horse, uh, Mike, Mike Richardson, Richardson, was uh, said in this interview that when he originally started talking to uh, Vanguard it's like two years ago, or yeah, something. like two yeah. years ago, yeah, yeah. The um, it's just like uh, that one other company bought out uh, or bought major shares in uh, Valiant, uh, which was also a Chinese company. Um, this is the new the new phase of the coming wars, um, <laughs> part of the streaming wars and the content so, wars. Buy to buy. This is Chris's foretelling of the future is, you know, uh, in the 80s, we had the Cola Wars. And now in the 21st century, we have the streaming wars. And I am supporting him in this theory. Um, I'm looking forward to the bloodshed, actually. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, actually, we might be close there. The same person who wrote this article that uh -huh. we're talking about also wrote one about, he called them the Bluetooth ammo wars or something like that. That's too awkward and well, wordy. Yeah, yeah. But basically, he was talking about it has some very similar... <laughs> write that copy <laughs> sorry uh you got there's some very similar um elements to the cultural uh wealth of arts that popped up right before world war one and uh and it's how when there's there's certain parties that are staring at each other and they're getting ready for war but they're trying to prove who's better mm -hmm. and it's just like there's there's little minor similarities as to just like we're all shoring up and gathering as much content ahead mm -hmm. of time as we can and because this is going to be the next media war to uh dominate everything for a while yeah you know yeah. So it is very interesting that uh, Dark Horse is making movements to actually have like some of their own studio strength. Yeah. Because there's notes here about them wanting to, you know, they're, they're using this money to fund script writers. And they have original content that, you know, is not owned by creators like Time Cop. Um, yeah, Time Cop. But also <laughs> The Mask. Dr. Giggles. Oh, yeah. That was the very first Dark Horse film was <laughs> uh, an adaptation of their really lame horror comic. Dr. Giggles. Dr. Giggles. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be the money is going to be used primarily to fund media uh, adventures, TV movies, something to put on a, one of the multitude of streaming services right. we're going to yeah. have. And not so much with the making comics, but... Um, the CEO and founder is uh, whose name I always I've already forgotten. Um, Mike Richardson. Yeah, th that's him. Um, it's such a regular name; it doesn't really <laughs> uh, uh, says that it might. Some of that, some of those funds might actually go towards towards creating new comics content. Mm -hmm. So, All right. 
cool. It'll probably be something similar to like the Netflix relationship with Mark Millar. Yeah. They got to find a creator and they got to pay him a lot of money to just throw ideas on the wall. Yeah. And then they'll make some comics and then those comics yeah. can be turned into scripts. Yeah. Basically, Dark Horse just got a big loan. Yes. yes. All righty. Let's move on. Um, Grant Morrison signed a deal with Universal Cable Productions to... <laughs> <laughs> to develop Wallace. and produce premium original content for television networks as well as streaming platforms. One of the things that uh, just stuck out to me in, in this article is that uh, it says um, Morrison has been an iconic iconic comic book writer since the 80s spearheading some of DC's most important comics. He is a self-proclaimed shaman, practitioner of chaos magic, yep. and mentor to Gerard Way. Yep. So I'm like... All true. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I had no idea. Have oh, you yeah. ever seen a photo of him? Uh, there's one here. It's just He just looks like a regular dude. It's usually like him in like a three-piece suit, bald, super white, yeah. and like in a shadow. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, that guy is into chaos magic. Obviously. The shadow consumes it's like, all. It's like when you see too. Alan Moore and you're like, yeah, of course mm-hmm. he lives in a castle. Do you Whatever. think he and Alan Moore like hang out and talk? They, about... I don't think they see eye to eye. No, they no. they are so much alike. They are at each other's throats. There was a time where they were actually send, pretty, sending pretty nasty volleys back and forth at one another. And the thing is that they write. Their storytelling approaches are so similar. What's the matter? I hope that they did that via like owl carrier or something. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys remember? Oh. Uh, like, an astral plane for sure. <laughs> uh, do you guys remember a couple years ago I had like some predictions of the industry? Yeah. And uh, basically one of the core ones was that Alan Moore was using the comic Providence to actually summon Cthulhu. Yeah. Right. And yes, uh, But the only things that were going to prevent it would be uh, Grant Morrison utilizing seen like the corporate power of like Mickey Mouse and uh, the corporate magic of Disney as they take over the comic industry. So it's like, I think it's still kind of happening. It's, it's still, just one yeah. of those low-key yeah. magic yeah. wizard battles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't even notice it happening. What's the name low of... Low-key wizard battles. <laughs> I love that. Low-key. 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 Chaos magic. What is the name of his biography? Oh, Super Gods? Super Gods. Yeah. And it's a documentary and a book. Yes. Correct? So yes. I actually recommend... And a thesis statement. And a thesis yeah. statement. <laughs> it's, so it's his biography, but it also talks about his approach to storytelling. And, you know, no no, no uh, ego uh, in, engaged how he shaped how we see comic books now. And actually, Ooh. it's a pretty fascinating read, and the documentary's not bad either. And it's very coherent. Oh, yeah. And even when yeah. it gets to the From drug... pretty vet. incoherent guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even when it gets to the drug chapter, you kind of know what's happening. You're like, well, you kind of prepped me for this. Thanks. Yeah. This is good. <laughs> yeah. No, he sees into other worlds, and he has... He has um, you know, ephemeral um, guides and the whole kit and caboodle. Yep. Right. So back to the Universal thing. I haven't seen yeah. them produce anything. Have you guys? Because I feel like they've scooped up what, like Kelly Sudaconic and Matt Fraction, and they were doing talk. a whole thing like years ago. That we and now Grant about Morrison. And nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. that like scooping up people and properties yeah. and things. It's like, like eventually is... there will be the reckoning, but we have to wait yeah. really long time for it. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is this is just another another data point in yes. the in. Sure. The streaming wars that is well, yeah. and everybody's learning their lessons from Disney, which is ooh ooh, slow it down, slow it down, don't oversaturate, don't oversaturate. That's one too many Star Wars. Okay, yeah. we'll figure this out. So uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, I yeah. finally watched Solo. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned that on this oh, yeah? show. I yeah, I, so. I liked it. It was fun. I, I liked it too. <laughs> um, I there was 
you know, there is a sat there's that saturation aspect. It's kind of like, yeah. well, do we need any of this yeah, information? No, it's totally unnecessary. No, we didn't. But it wasn't done poorly. Yeah. And um and yeah, I found myself kind of caring about all these younger versions of these characters by the time. I didn't think it was a bad movie at all. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I haven't seen it more than once. <laughs> right. And some you know, some I movies do... you watch, you enjoy, and right. then that's it. And then, um, yeah. Well, but then Star Wars, uh, Star Wars I watch over and over and over again. You know, I just rewatched Last Jedi for like the fifth time, mm. and that was a mistake. <laughs> Five was too much, huh? Five, I started seeing a lot of holes, mm. and I got really ir- irritated. Times? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's streaming on Netflix now. No. Oh, yeah, it is. So, I think I've only seen it once. Oh. I think I saw it with you at the Cinerama. Yeah, and that was like the third time. You took me for my birthday. You and Blair took me for oh. my birthday. On the 27th. On the twi- or thereabouts, <laughs> yeah. But that was actually like the third time I'd seen it. Yeah, yeah. well, it was my first. Anyway, anyway, uh, I'm going to save our next topic for our next episode because we're running That's a little fun. long. Let's That's move on fun. to Book Report, everybody. It's all my fault. I mean, <laughs> uh, like usual. So, Cole Hornaday, let's start with you again. Okay, well, um, I have all kinds of things I want to share and I and I'm going to make this episode run super long now because I read <laughs> issue number 1 I'll just of, read this book. Okay. Oh. <laughs> no, issue number kidding. 1 of uh, Dark Horse speaking of Dark Horse comics and properties they still have uh, a hold of uh, the uh, comic book adaptation of the unproduced screenplay of Alien 3. Um, based on the William Gibson screenplay and uh, adapted and uh, illustrated by Johnny Christmas and um, uh, color art by uh, Tamara uh, Bonvillon. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background, um, Alien and Aliens are two of my all-time favorite movies. And I thought it was the... When, you know, by the time we got to the, by the time I, I saw the first screening of Aliens, I thought this is going to be the most amazing franchise. And then, boom, we got slapped in the face with Alien 3, um, directed by David Fincher in 1992, that absolutely defiled everything that had been established. <laughs> now, in retrospect, by the time we get to Janae's uh, Alien Resurrection, Alien 3 is a fine film, and I'm saying that in all sincerity, because Alien Resurrection is a piece of steaming... Anyway, I this like is a... One. What's that? Nothing. What's that? <laughs> I like that one. Do ya? Yeah. Well, how old were you when it came out, Chris? I don't know. <laughs> you were like 12, weren't you? Res- Resurrection? Yes. No, no, wasn't that like late 90s or something? It would have been late 90s. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. You were 12. <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> um, so this is... Uh so there were so many, if you are familiar with the franchise, if you're familiar with what happens between Aliens and Alien 3, I mean, so Ripley and, and Hicks and Newt and um, Bishop are all in hypersleep, and then we get to the third film, and everybody's dead. And the only one to survive is, is Ripley, and lo and behold, she's got an alien inside her, and it's set on this peanut, penal colony, and there's this story just... <laughs> peanut colony? <laughs> peanut colony. I want to go there. Uh, you want to go live on the peanut colony no, with the alien? Galactus is going to eat that one, oh, right? Because okay. squirrel... Yeah, and at the time, the only takeaway was like, oh, look, alien gestates in dogs, so it looks like it has a dog's body. Um, so I was really, really frustrated with that film. So frustrated, in fact, I went back and saw it like three times to try to figure out what is wrong with this movie. You are a glutton for punishment, Cole. Oh man, I just I felt like there was something that the, 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 the film had to teach me, and I was wrong. So um, 
But William Gibson back in the, that time in the 90s was a hot property in science fiction uh, literature. He was written the what came to be called the Sprawl trilogy, um, and he was he was the uh, head he was the uh, the brainchild behind the whole cyberpunk storytelling movement. So you know he was kind of a, a perfect. Uh, so they thought a uh, person to write the screenplay. Well, it was never produced, and there were a boatload of screenplays that got knocked around. Um, so this is uh, a really interesting adaptation because um, Chris read it, and he was he he was bored with it because he bored didn't feel, to tears, bored to tears because he didn't feel like anything really happened. For me, um, I'm experiencing a lot of joy because I'm getting these opening beats, these opening moments that I actually was looking forward to seeing um, that I had imagined imagined and going into Alien 3 that was, you know, uh, viciously ripped from my hands. <laughs> um, I'm enjoying this. So to get to the plot, well, yeah, you got the Salako, you got the, our four characters, and they're drifting through hyperspace, but they have drifted through uh, a, a piece of uh, contested space. Folks come on board to try to salvage it, and they encounter the aliens that are on board, which was kind of a, a surprise to anybody who saw Alien 3 that, wait, okay, th there were aliens on board the ship? That's supposed, that wasn't supposed to happen. Um, you're introduced to some... Um, um, some characters that have potential, but there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of corporate politics happening, and we don't really get to any alienizing, as in, like, you know, <laughs> and, and, and we don't get to any of that really until about the end of the comic book, yes. Can you drip saliva from the, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but it's a slow setup, and I, right now, I have a lot of patience for it because of the trauma I suffered you know, in 1992. So, um, but yeah, Chris is right. It's got a slow start. Um, it may not meet um, the expectations that I have, but I'm going to stick with it. I think the best way to describe my problem with it is uh -huh. simply that, uh, as a comparison, the character Darkseid predates Thanos. We all know this. By the time Darkseid shows up, I've had 10 years of waiting for Thanos. I'm fine. I don't give a crap about Darkseid. That's how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. This had the same opening beats as the last Alien thing. Yes. And I'm like, it's the same thing again and again now. Mm -hmm. If you can't draw it better, then I don't care. And I didn't mm -hmm. care for the art in this. Okay, so. I understand. Yeah. The yeah. art is not as spectacular as it could be. Um, but I'm enjoying the experiment. So, And it may fail. And mm -hmm. it's entirely likely that it will. Because, hey, it's unproduced screenplay. Right. Um, the beauty of Alien and Aliens, and we could waste a whole episode, and we probably already have, is that they are self-contained movies that have a totally different approach to storytelling. Aliens is a haunted house story. Uh, excuse me, Alien is a haunted house story. Uh, and Aliens is this spectacular war story. And then we were kind of told that Alien 3 was supposed to be a metaphor for AIDS or something. And that was just, like, lame. So... That's the other thing I'm curious about. It's like, is this going to fit that kind of model, or is it going to be lame? So I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to read it. Um, I'm going to be open-minded. Um, and you all know how, how I, well I deal with disappointment. So. Okay. <laughs> Alien 3, the unproduced screenplay. Thank you, Cole. You Chris Casso, what do you got for On us? On a completely different note, <laughs> I read Anne Frank's Diary, the graphic adaptation. Uh, adapted by Ari Fulman with illustrations by David Polonsky. Um, it was absolutely beautifully handled. Um, this is with the approval of the Anne Frank um, uh, Foundation um, in Basel, uh, or Basel. And um, 
It does many very interesting things because uh, as Anne uh, wrote in her journal, she named it. And so they, the book actually kind of gives the journal a personality. There's a really nice page here where it shows uh, Anne speaking to a shadow coming out of her journal. And she had so many... Um, flights of fancy and, and visual ideas that they illustrate those bits of fancy and fantasy that she had. Um, it's, it's a very human book and it's very sad and you, you, you know, you need to be in the mood for this. Uh, that's not the right way to say it, but you know, you understand what it's prepare about. Yourself. You need to prepare yourself. Yeah. Um, it's very, very engaging. I, I shot through it pretty quickly and uh, it balances because some some pages are heavier on the art, some it's heavier on the journal entries, and uh, and then it starts giving you additional afterward information that uh, made me want to go back and re-research and and you know re remind myself of what I had already known and some things that I guess I didn't either remember or I was just now learning. Um, so this is going to be a key book for us as uh, as a nonprofit that helps get books into the hands of educators and libraries it's something i'm going to be pushing pretty hard uh for the foreseeable future it's uh published by pantheon books it's 25 bucks it's a dense read um so it's well worth your time and uh it's just amazing talents that cared about the source material and it's a beautiful hardcover too so yep. it's nice as a Indeed. collection yes it'll yeah. it'll survive a long life in a library hopefully right. so um it's a great format so I, I highly recommend uh, Anne Frank's Diary, the graphic novel adaptation. Cool. All right. Thank you, Chris. And finally, Nicole, what do you got for us? So on a completely, completely different note, <laughs> I'm going to review Off-Road uh, by Sean Murphy. Um, but first, I wanted to make a quick editorial uh, note on my Open Earth, where I said it was a queer book, but I didn't actually say what sort of representation. And I think that's kind of important. Um, so if you listen to, was it, would it be the last episode or would this be in some be episode 200. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in episode 200, uh, when I reviewed that, um, I talked about the main character, Rigo. Um, she is a curvy girl, and there's also some trans and, and bi uh, representation. So just in case that was like, oh, that sounds nice, but I don't really know where it's queer. I just wanted to include that. Um, so anyway, on to Off-Road. This is some early work from Sean Murphy. You may know Sean Murphy from such works as mm -hmm. Batman, White Knight, and um, Punk Rock uh, Jesus, and uh, many other things, the too. The Wake. I keep yeah. forgetting he did that with Scott Snyder, right? Yes. What's the one where the kid has the all the fantasy characters with them and he goes into the dream world and teddy bears and Joe, the, the, Joe Barbarian, the Barbarian which he did with Grant Morrison yeah. Yes. yeah so there you go there's yeah. four works of Sean Murphy that you may or may not be familiar with um, Off-Road is a, a semi-true tale that he actually uh, experienced I believe of uh, him and his friends going off-roading in uh, his friend's new jeep that has <laughs> a skid guard apparently a skid guard is supposed to uh, help you from uh skidding out and getting stuck but uh as they go off-roading um they get stuck in uh like a pond and it's it's a whole day affair of them trying to get out and them arguing with each other and going back and forth well you should have done this you should have done that it's actually really fun it's really engaging uh, if you do like kind of slice of life stuff or if you want to see some of his early work because it, it is interesting to see his early work it, it is slightly different than what you may be used to with his stuff um, and then you also in the back of at least this uh, copy uh, you can see some of his 
uh, cartoon strips that he did as a senior project in college. Um, so uh, it's just, <laughs> it's a really good tale, fun tale about someone having a really bad day <laughs> with his friends. Um, and, um, and it's also fun because I love Sean Murphy's art so much that it is, um, uh, good to check back on, on his work. So now, wh- when was this originally published? Cause this uh, has been out of print for like a long time, right? 98. So this is the first edition from November, 2005. Oh, wow. Okay. I so I got one. this first edition from half price books. So you can probably find it secondhand. Um, and as long as they don't know that it's out of print, it should be fairly affordable. This was very affordable <laughs> for me. Um, so sometimes half price doesn't like check things and it's like to your benefit. I mean, Is it's that not a thing. They'll make it more expensive if it's out of print. Yeah. And they'll yeah. put it, they'll like lock it away and stuff like that. Different oh, editions and wow. things like, like I found a, a Wandering Sun Volume Three, but it they realized it's out of print, and so it's unattainable for me. So ah. oh well. Anyway, um, you could probably find it uh, secondhand, and it's it's really fun. If you like Sean Murphy's artwork, um, it it's worth it. I think just for that alone. If you're going for chronological Murphy, you yeah. should next go to Outer Orbit. Oh yeah, and that's another um, out of print. See that? Yeah, and I haven't. Um, I I've been looking for that one because uh, I really wanted to try that. You you had said that one was really good for years and years. And as usual, you should listen to Chris. Just FYI, um, <laughs> when he says these things. Um, so yeah, so a little piece of Sean Murphy history. Just take the compliment for pity's sake. Okay. Chris is great. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and adorable. Nah. Anyway, off-road. Read cool. it. Find Excellent. it. Enjoy right. it. I'm going to look it. at it. Yeah, you should. Thank you, Nicole. And while Nicole Thank passes you. off-road over to Cole, I'm going to tell you that the Perfect Bomb podcast is brought to you by The Panel Jumper. See everything Cole Hornaday and I do at thepaneljumper.com, as well as the Comics Dungeon here at 319 Northeast 45th Street in beautiful downtown Wallingford, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at comicsdungeon.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or however you get your podcasts at perfectmountpodcast.com. Send us an email at perfectmountpodcast at gmail.com. And now, friends, get your quiz hats on. It's quiz time. And this week, our question come to us from Mr. Cole Hornaday oh, himself, shoot. and he's all busy looking at off-road. Do you want me to do that? Ready? Do you until, want to go? I thought I had until next week. <laughs> no, it's this week. Oh, and I'm, I'm sorry. This is going to make this an even longer episode, you guys. So, All right. So, uh, quiz time, episode 201. Computers rule our lives. No, seriously, we have let them take over our lives because we are all useless, lazy, feeble-witted bags of mostly water that tremble in fear of making at least one authentic decision. I like your Star Trek reference inside there. Okay. In honor of that outburst and the fact that I watched an over-edited version of The Terminator on Comet TV this weekend, I have compiled uh, a quiz time devoted to killer computers I call Killer App Attack and some evil AI. Ready? The aforementioned James Cameron low-budget blockbuster, The Terminator, featured this global artificial consciousness bent on obliterating humanity. Skynet. Skynet. Skynet, or Titan, is a highly advanced artificial intelligence. Once it became self-aware, it saw humanity as a threat to its existence due to the attempts of Cyberdyne scientists to kill it once it had gained self-awareness and decided to trigger the nuclear holocaust known as what? Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Later would develop and deploy an army of Terminators against humanity whose survivor had formed a resistance group. And what was his name? Uh, Connor? 
John Connor. Yes. It is the main antagonist of the Terminator franchise. Oh, and I figure out how to travel through time, too. Uh, Terminator was released in 1984. 20 years prior to the release of James, James Cameron's film, The Terminator, Universal Pictures filmed, released a film adaptation of this science fiction novel by Dennis Felton Jones, writing as D.F. Jones, about an advanced American defense system becoming sentient and taking control of the world's nuclear arsenal. It was a film and a book. Anybody? No. I wish I knew. Uh, Colossus, The Forbin Project, a.k.a. Yeah. <laughs> AKA The Forbin Project. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the book came out in 66 and the film in 1970. Now, catch this. It tells the tale of what happens after a computer the size of 16 football fields and powered by vacuum team tubes is handed uh, full control over our country's allied nuclear defense system, allowing for the computer's Dacronian logic to expand on its original nuclear defense directives to assume total control of the world and end all welfare for the good of mankind despite its creator's orders to stop. It was the 1960s, and they all they were saying was give peace a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, but that's boring, and no wonder Cameron stole the idea and gave it a bloodthirsty twist. <laughs> Boom! This this supercomputer was designed to maintain the Discovery One spacecraft systems during the interplanetary mission to Jupiter. The highly advanced onboard system was capable of speech, speech recognition, facial recognition, natural language processing, lip reading, art appreciation, interpreting emotional behaviors, automated reasoning, and playing chess, oh, and killing the entire ship's crew. <laughs> Anybody? Hal. Hal 9000. Do you know what Hal stands for? I don't. Oh, darn it. <laughs> a a hell of a good time. A hell. Mm. No. <laughs> Okay. Habitable artificial landscapes. <laughs> Hateful alien. Heuristically programmed algorithmic computer. And it was featured in Arthur huh? C. Clarke's oh. uh, Space Odyssey series. Remember, there are like four books, um, uh, starting with uh, 2001 The Space Odyssey and 1968. Moving on, this 2.1 terabyte AI. Um, was the computer mainframe for the interstellar core of the space freighter Nostromo. The computer uh, autopiloted the ship while the crew were in hypersleep and monitored their activities. It communicated with the crew through the intercom system and a special womb-like interface room only accessible to the, uh, the officer at the top of the chain of command. Mother? Mother, or M-U-T-H-U-R-6000. Mother. <laughs> uh, simply... <laughs> Mother Earth. Uh, featured prominently in the 1975, excuse me, 1979 Ridley Scott film Alien. Uh, Mother collaborated with synthetic, uh, synthetic science officer Ash to implement Special Order 937 and ensure the survival of the xenomorph specimen located on what planet? Oh, come on, you guys. I'm so disappointed. LV426. LV426. <laughs> oh, I was going to say LV425. <laughs> I was going to say Geiger Central. So. Geiger Central. <laughs> this is City Alpha 5. Um, uh, Mother uh, monitored the activities of the crew of the Nostromo for the Wayland yutani Corporation. Lastly, and uh, I, I appreciate you uh, sticking with me through all this, <laughs> uh, deep within the backlit world of pre-CG computer animation, the digital warrior Tron struggled to survive a never-ending combat created by this all-knowing menace to freedom. We just mentioned it earlier today, didn't we? Didn't From we? Tron? No, the name of the computer. Anybody? 
the Master Control Program, program. or MCP. <laughs> I swear to God, we talked about that either today or I, I heard. So, no, <laughs> you're just I know humoring me right now. I do. I was. I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and okay. we and he brought that up. Excellent. There you go. Yesterday, this reminds me. One of my favorite evil robot names is MCPC. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I need to talk about Tron anymore. <laughs> no, please. Uh, the main antagonist in Tron, uh, the, the MCP of the Master Control Program. Tron was released in 1982 and directed by Steve Lisberger, starring Jeff Bridges, David Warner, and Bruce, Gold, or Bruce Boxleitner. The MPC was a rogue computer program that ruled over the world inside the evil corporation NCOM's mainframe computer system, pitting inhabitants against one another in video game-like gladiatorial matches in an effort to destroy their belief in the users. And that is quiz time. Has anybody seen the the Tron sequel? Tron Legacy? Tron Legacy? Uh, I, I did. I saw it in the theater. Is it and, worth seeing? Um, it has a plot about that thick, but the design <laughs> concepts in it pretty. are, are okay. really amazing. All right. Yeah, I thought the design, and I, I was I was just loving the consistency of all the design that was happening. In cool. It, it has yeah. a good soundtrack. Yeah. All it's, right. It's a Daft Punk, isn't it? Well, mm -hmm. great. Well, thank you, Cole. You're welcome. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>